Jesus. Our scripture lesson this morning is going to come out of Matthew 7 again, a little further down in the, the, same, the same chapter, uh, coming out of uh, verse 13 through 23. It's a series of, of statements, stories, if you would. Uh, again, part of the Sermon on the Mount is we... I hope we all learned just a few minutes ago. Uh, Let me begin reading out of chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we we listen to these words, and in many ways they're not easy. Help us to understand. Help us, Lord, and help me, Lord, as I share my heart, your word in me, not to share anything, Lord, but your truth, your grace, your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can remember going to a, a Little League game once and when I was older. I used to play a lot of young, young person baseball in my day. And I saw this young fellow. He came up to bat and he did all the right things. You know, he spits on his gloves. We didn't have gloves when I played ball, but they got him now. He spits on his gloves. He knocked the dirt off of his off his shoes, and he dug around a little bit in the batter's box, and he tapped the plate, you know, with his bat. He really looked good, and I figured this is probably one of their best players, like a big leaguer. But you know, he couldn't hit a thing. 
He didn't get a hit the entire game. The entire game. He had, he looked good, but on that day at least, he, he was all show and no go. He had good form, but he lacked the content. I've noticed, maybe you have too, a lot of people in our, in our world have, have lives that sort of look like that. They have great form, but there's, there's no substance. There's no content really behind it. Paul, Paul warned about that in, in 2 Timothy. He was trying to teach young Timothy to be, be careful about some of these people who he said have a form of godliness. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus focuses on teaching the difference between religion and spirituality. We often say between religion and relationship. Between having the form and having the content. Looking right on the outside, but all the while being hollow on the inside. Religion is good form. It's good form. You look at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you look at a lot of a lot of the, the even the Jewish many of the Jewish people of Jesus' day, and, and you can see that. They were all about form. They were all about structure. They were all about making everybody think that they were they were okay with God, even if they were not. Even if they were not. We we see it a lot in our world today. We see it a lot in our churches today. Religion is, is good form. It's good form. Spirituality, on the other hand, it, the right kind of spirituality is good content. It's good content. The essence of spirituality goes beyond the surface level. It goes down into the depths, into the inside. Examines the heart. In this passage this morning, we see that it's possible to be religious, to have the form, but still miss out on a relationship with God. You see, keeping your religion or being religious or celebrating religion is not enough. Even if you're good at it, most of us are pretty good. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to go beneath. You have to go under the hood, so to speak. You have to get deeper than purely facade, purely religion allows you to go. And you have to experience a heart-changing, a heart-changing spirituality, a heart-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And it isn't always easy. Because, you know, you and I, we live in a society obsessed with form. Think about it. We're obsessed. We're not so much concerned with what's in the package as we are the package. Just think of the things you eat. We eat all kinds of junk. We've even neighbored it, junk food. But we still shove it in there, and largely it's because of all the packaging that's so attractive all the advertising that makes it seem so so right and of course everybody's doing it every year people magazine publishes an issue dedicated to the 50 most beautiful people in the world it's one of their most popular issues 
because these are, in fact, beautiful people. But when you look beyond the perfect smiles and the perfect hair and the perfect teeth and the perfect bodies, and you begin to examine the content of their lives, you quickly see that, that they're just as messed up as any of us, maybe more so. Their lives are characterized by divorce and rehab, career conflict, on and on. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy stuff. They may be the 50 most beautiful people in the world, but they're not the 50 most together people in this world. And they're certainly not the 50 most well-adjusted people in this world. And absolutely, they're not the 50 most godly people in this world. But of course, if you dedicate an an issue, an entire issue of, of a major magazine to any of those kinds of topics it probably wouldn't sell too much, would it? Because we're a culture, we're a world who values form over content. And the fact is, good form is easier to maintain than good content. It's, it's easier to, to, project, to, to project an image th- than it is to develop the substance behind the image. But there are problems. If you're projecting an image of success but are living beyond your means to do it, eventually things will catch up, right? If, if you're projecting a, an image of, of a perfect marriage and a perfect family, but your relationships are filled with anger and hostility, eventually it will break out and it will show. If you're projecting a public image of being a, a moral person, but in your private life, you're pursuing a life of sin. Or you have that one dogging sin that just keeps on eroding who you are. It will eventually catch up with you. Eventually, the package gets opened. In life, good form is not enough. A pretty package is not enough. You have to develop the content. In fact, the greatest tragedy that you and I could ever experience is to spend our life perfecting the form, the appearance, and neglecting the content. But that is so often the truth in church today. That's why when you come along and you find people who want to hold tightly to the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches us as best we can understand it, You find a lot of ridicule, a lot of mocking, a lot of disdain even. Jesus tells us how to avoid the tragedy of following the form and the world and not seeking the content of God. If you don't want to spend your life playing games and you don't want to your life to be one big cover-up and you don't want to stand before God someday and not want to be there. Jesus shows us some things that we need to do. And as he's concluding his, his Sermon on the Mount, that's what's so interesting about that. He's, he's come to some pretty negative thoughts. Why, you should end your sermon on a high note, you would think, right? But he's ending his, note, his sermon on, on a note of, of caution and warning Be careful, because he knows the world we live in. 
And he knows how easy it is for us to get persuaded away from his truth and his way. The first thing we learn from this, this series of verses is that if you want to build something beyond the surface of your life, you've got to look beyond the surface of your life. You've got to look for it. Listen to what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. That ought to be an eye-opener right there. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I want you to know Jesus didn't say those words with a big smile on his face. Doesn't make him happy that only a few find the way. He's just simply stating a fact of life. And the Greek word that's translated find is, is probably most telling in this little passage. Only a few find it, he said. And the word is never used to describe an intense search. It's, it's never used to, to picture somebody with their their magnifying glass, trying to find that minutia, that fine thing that's hard to find, that difficult thing. No, it's not that word used there at all. This word is always used, always used, to describe something that's in plain sight, like my car keys when I'm trying to locate them. Right there, in the middle of the table, all along, right there for me to see and find and and grab and touch and use. That's what he's talking about. Only a few find what is readily able to be found. The implication is that, that not many people look for the way. They're not really looking. They're not trying to find it. It's not that they're looking and, and struggling and trying to trying to find and do the right thing and, and can't do it. No, they're not looking at all. Not many are bothering to look. Let me ask you, does that look like the world you and I live in? Not many are bothering to look. Not many are bothering to to think that God has any relevance in their life at all. When it comes to form or content, most people are going to settle for just looking good and search no further. And you know, in, in all of our history almost, we can remember days when, when that meant being a part of a church. That, that stay, raising your hand if, if you're asked, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. But you look at the statistics today, and they're going just the other way, and, and radically so. In, in big hunks, less and less, less people are, are raising their hand to say they believe in God, they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Less and less, even if they raise their hand, are a part of a church. Now, they may have a name on a roll where they went with Grandma years ago, but they're not a part of a church. You know what I mean. If you want a close relationship with God, you can have one. But you need to open your eyes. You need to open your eyes and start differentiating a little bit between that big path and that little path and what the people are doing and saying on that big path and what the people are doing and saying on that narrow path. 
in Deuteronomy 4.29, uh, the writer says, If you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him. If you look for him. If you look for him. With your heart and with your soul. You want to build something beyond the surface of your life, you have to look beyond the surface of your life. The easy way is just pretend. Just pretend to be religious. The narrow way is to seek to become spiritual, Christ-like. Much more challenging. Few people bother to look for the narrow. But those who do look for it, find it. That brings me to the second point. Just being spiritual is not enough. It's not enough. Balance is what we need. Our spirituality must be, be based on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and thus we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at the content of our life. What's in there, anyhow? Look inside. Jesus says in verse 15 and 18, Watch out for the false prophets, because they come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you looking good, don't they? They come to you looking right. They have great form, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Then he says, By their, their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, of course, Jesus is talking in, in, in a general sense. A, a good tree can every once in a while maybe have a bad apple. But the preponderance of the fruit that the good tree uh, produces is, is not bad. It, it is good. It is good. He's talking about how we know false prophets specifically here. But is he not also talking about how we can know ourselves? How you can know what's, what's inside when you take a look? Same rule. Same test. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So what is this fruit that Jesus is referring to? Well, it's not religious work. We know that. We know that from what's going to follow, most particularly. So if it's not religious works, it's not all the good things that I do. It's not, you know, how I, I love my neighbors and how I'm all out there serving in my community and all those good things that I do. If it's not my coming to Sunday school every Sunday, never miss a Sunday in 25 years, got the, got the pins to show it. If it's not all that, what is it? What is it? What fruit does Jesus want? Personal holiness? Remember, be holy as I am holy. It's a command. Christ-likeness? We're supposed to be being transformed one little bit to another, one degree to another, depending on which version you read into the image in which we were created. The image of Christ. The very same fruits that, that Paul spelled out in Galatians 5. Not bad, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits that the followers of Jesus are known for. 
These are the fruits that we need to examine and look in our lives and see if they're there. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Jesus would say maybe to see whether you're on the the wide path or the narrow path. Test yourselves, each one of us. We need to take a long look at the fruit that's in our life. What are our lives producing? What's coming out of us? Do we treat others with love? Do we have a sense of joy in our life? Do we experience God's peace? Are, Are we all frazzled up or are we at peace with God? Are we patient when things don't go our way? Do we treat others with kindness? In our examination, if it turns up a bunch of rotten stuff, which it probably will turn up a little bit, then it's something we need to fix. We need to fix. We need to, we need to come to God. We need to take it to God, and we need to say, God, the content of my life isn't what it should be. The content of my life is lacking here and here and here. I can see it. I know it. Renew your Holy Spirit within me. We need to have that prayer over and over and over again. It's not a one-time fix. Ask God to take away everything that isn't like Jesus and keep building Jesus in us. That's, we have a big word for that in church. We call it sanctification. <laughs> big word, but it's a simple word. Becoming like Jesus. And, and that's God's purpose. Reconciliation, bringing into one. So that one day we'll be with Jesus in eternity. With God in eternity. And let me tell you, most of us are, are a bit crusty right now. I'm not sure we're ready. Oh, we got Jesus who's going to get us across the finish line only by amazing grace and mercy, period. You know, I know my life. You know yours. And you know that the one holy true God, he couldn't, he couldn't abide with me if it were not for Jesus. If it were not for Jesus. And that brings me to the third thing in this passage. We've got to get to know Jesus. I know you may have been in church all your life. You may never know, can state a date, a time, a place where, where you never did know Jesus, where he came into your life all of a sudden, sort of like Paul's Damascus Road. For a lot of us, it was kind of a, of a gentle entrance, if you would. But we need to get to know Jesus. I mean know Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's disturbing. That's disturbing. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Is that not the will of God? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles in your name? Could that not have been done only by God? And then I will tell them plainly, listen, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. There's three passages that kind of just leap off that off of that, off of that uh, story that Jesus is telling, that illustration that he's giving. 
And, and the first, who does the will of my Father. He who does the will of my Father, the person who enters the kingdom of heaven is the person who does God's will. That's what it comes down to. Not doing what, what I want, not doing what, what we think maybe is the best thing to do, but doing what God thinks is the best thing to do. What He wants. And you and I know that in our culture now, today, standing for God can also bring a lot of mocking and ridicule. And it, it has a price. And it's a good price. Jesus paid a price. The ultimate price. How little are we asked to give? But we are asked to give. We are. We have to surrender our will to His will. We have to be unashamed to share about Him with those that are around us. I don't care if, if, if we're in our nursing home or if we're in, in a, uh, a rotary club or wherever we might find ourselves. We need to be willing to share Jesus. To talk about Him. Not be so tongue-tied that we just can't mention Him at all. And, you know, I preach to myself as much as I preach to you. Maybe more so. I have the same problem. Same problems. I know how hard it can be. I know how difficult it can be. But I also know how rewarding it is when you break over and you go into, into following God's will and not your own. How often do I have to ask myself, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm too busy to do maybe what I know in my mind and my heart that God wants me to do. Oswald Chambers says, it doesn't matter how well you do what you do unless you do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know? I'm good at doing what I want to do. I'm not so necessarily always good at doing what I'm supposed to do. He who does the will of my Father. The second phrase that jumps out of that is, Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus spoke these words to people who had prophesied, had cast out demons, had performed miracles, all in His name. And yet He calls them evildoers, lawless. It's, it's hard, isn't it? You know, it's, it's easy to kind of go after the flashy things, you know, casting out demons and prophesying and... and you know, lots of times we talk about prophesying in, in our culture and in our day of, of faith, and, and that's very closely aligned to speaking forth the Word of God, which is very closely aligned with preaching. Did I not preach in your name, Lord? But you see, every religious thing they did was for show, it was part of the form. It wasn't motivated by content. It didn't come from the heart. And we see it today. We see it in ourselves. Another phrase that jumps out is that one that we very much don't want to hear. I never knew you. And it tells me what Jesus really wants. Oh yeah, He wants us to do the will of the Father. But what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is not that we go out and do all sorts of good deeds. The will of the Father is not we 
we do all these kind of things. The will of the Father is, is that we draw close to Him, that we become like Him in Christ. The will of the Father is that we'll be in heaven with Him for eternity. That's the will of the Father. He's all about reconciliation. All these other things, they are good. They are right. They are proper. But they are a means to the end. They are not the end. So often we think that's the end. When we do that, we're settling for form rather than content. And we're asking others to settle for form rather than content. We're giving them a loaf of bread without Jesus. One will last a day and one will last forever. So which is the most important? And which does God want us to do? I never knew you. He wants to be able to say, I know you. I know you. It's a personal relationship. It's an intimacy that God seeks with you and me. He wants to know us personally. He wants us to know Him personally. And extends way beyond our public life into our private life. And the only way we can do that is to spend time with Him. The only way we can do that is, is to be in His Word. Pray, talk, interact. You know, God will speak to you. Most of you know that. You've heard Him. He speaks to you. He encourages you. He builds you up. He gives you strength. There is a relationship there. And it's real. And it's a knowing. And all Jesus wants to do is to know us and for us to know Him. And the worst thing that could ever happen is for God to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Eventually, the package of our life is going to be opened. And others, maybe, but God for sure. We'll see what's inside. It's inevitable. And we've all known people whose public life didn't match up to their private life. Religious leaders, you know, who I never thought it was possible, but there they go. Athletes, movie stars, public figures who, whose lives just explode. Just collapse. But it doesn't have to happen to us. It doesn't have to happen to you. Your private life can, can match your public image. But it won't happen by accident. It's only going to happen by the presence of God in your life. You have to focus on that, that content and make sure it's in balance with what is seen. If your private life isn't like it needs to be, like it should be, and you know, Jesus knows, Jesus came into this world to help change, to help me change. Turn to Him. Ask Him. That's what we read this morning in that first reading. Seek and you shall find. Ask. Ask. He can help you. And only really He. He can help you. Turn your life into something that pleases Him. His word in Matthew 7 shows us the way. Be one of the few who look for it. 
not the masses and the many, not the crowd, but one of the few. Choose the narrow path. Examine your life and ask Jesus to take away everything that isn't like him. Realize that that fruit that you're bearing, what's it say about him? And thus about you. And above all, get to know him. Get to know him. Strive to be his person, to do his will. When you look at yourself, what do you see? Does what you see match who you really are? Does what he sees match who you think you are? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we...